Hello and welcome once more to Country Roads Confidential. I am your host, Chris Anderson. I am joined, as almost always, by Mr. Mike Casaza. Mike, how are things today? Good. Calm weekend. Got away from football for a little bit. Um, I was not at the press conference Saturday, and it seemed like I missed a little bit, but um, all the good stuff, I guess, happened behind closed doors and ran a little overtime, but um, it kind of reset the the table and reset the headlines for this last week, which is kind of fun for me because it's going to get quiet soon here. They're not available and they're not practicing out in public for, um, you know, continuously this week and then beyond that. So the fact that we'll have some new things to talk about without seeing people is kind of refreshing um, at this stage of camp. We're going to the last week here and we're going to have a fresh round of things beyond, hey, who's your starter and who's your backup? Well, that's good. It's good timing for that because right now we, we opened up the the table for everybody to ask questions once more to run another mailbag to get our fan bases, our members' thoughts, what they want to know. And, and boy, they touched on a lot of different things here. So let's just jump right into it. We picked out several very interesting questions uh, about football, basketball, coaching, um, and an impromptu WWE-style Hell in a Cell match between Mike and I, and we'll get to that at the end. But let's start with this, this one from Yidio10. Which assistant coach on the football staff has the brightest coaching future? I think I know your answer because I think you've already written this before, but go ahead and tell me who you think it is. I want to see if it's it's who I think. I have two because we're both going to say Blake Seiler. Right. Um, he'll be a defensive coordinator if he's not a head coach soon. Um, and he has been a defensive coordinator before, and he just has the disposition and the background and I think the work ethic and just the story. He 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 fills the biography, if that makes any sense. Um, I think he's going to be before long. So he's here for a finite period of time. Um, I hope he rents and doesn't buy because he does. My next one, though, because that one's obvious, I think Travis Trickett's on his way up. Um, he has he has like a, an energy and a, a, a verb for this stuff, and you interact with him quite a bit too, but he's really excitable when it comes to the kind of the stuff you don't really like about recruiting. But he's pretty cool with that stuff, and obviously it's in his family. I think he knows – you know, the business and he has certain amount of connections, but um, the fact that he kind of took a step back from coordinator to position coach because he wanted to work with Neil Brown because he wanted to have like the full view of a head coach. Uh, I think that he knows his next move should be head coach. It, it's interesting you say him because honestly, I, I'm on the same page as you. We're getting this off to a pretty boring start where mm. we were both going to say Siler and then I was going to go, can't say Siler, so I'm going to say Trickett. And you did the same thing, but for a lot of the same reasons you did. And also just these connections that he's built up. I had a pretty interesting story. I was out playing golf during the dead period last month. Uh, coaches all, almost all on vacation. And guy walks up to me, the starter at the, at the golf course puts us together because we were both playing solos. Walks up, sees me in my 24-7 sports hat and asks me what I do. We start talking. I tell him I work with the West Virginia site. He goes, oh, you know Travis, Travis Trigget. Uh, it turns out this guy is a an assistant coach down at Louisiana Tech. Just completely random. Is good friends with Travis. Good friends with his entire family. Knows them for years. And I think those connections and and the way he does it through the coaching staffs, through recruiting, and obviously his knowledge and his versatility on the coaching staff, being able to coach different positions, will help. 
Um, but you and I both know that that connections are a big part of this coaching business and, and Travis Trickett has them and it goes with the smarts, the versatility and the enthusiasm. Um, can we count someone else who's not really a coach? Uh, I've had people tell me that Patrick Johnston, who is the football operations guy, that he'll be like an NFL personnel guy. And he's he's like Oz a little bit. Like, I, I've hardly <laughs> talked to him. And he's really behind the curtain a lot. You don't see him very often. But apparently he's really busy. And he's he's very highly um, regarded in that personnel category. And that's like an industry to itself in football circles, too. But I think that's one guy that um, a lot of people who – are getting into the program, think he's pretty sharp and he's got a future. And he, he came with Brown too. So um, obviously Brown likes him for a reason. That's, that seems to be a case with a lot of these guys that are, that have these non coaching staff positions with Neil Brown. Obviously you touched on the fact that there are more of them under Brown than there were under Holgerson, but some of these names, some of their backstories are, are all pretty darn interesting. Mm. Um, next question from Little McCoy 03, can we finally give Mike his time to talk about special teams? Oh. No. No, we cannot. Oh. <laughs> from 2146 year, what three things need to happen for this team to be an eight-win team? You give me number one. Well, I am going to get my special teams in. <laughs> oh, God. I can't take it completely. One, I, th- I do think because we're talking about an eight-win team. We're not talking about a uh, conference championship team. We're not talking about a CFP team. But the difference between, you know, five and seven and seven and five may not be monumental. Um, but if we're talking about scraping out a game, it might be, you know, making a field goal or blocking a field goal. It might mean just consistently winning field position. It might mean blocking a punt or handling snaps clean. I do think special teams can can help this team in areas and maybe minimize some areas where the gap between itself and the opponent is larger. I don't think that's a reach to say that. Uh, and you and I kind of agree on two different ones. I'll take the first one. Um, obviously, the whole thing about picking a quarterback is very important. I think the best thing that can happen is not to pick one sooner than later. That would help, certainly. But if they had the same guy for all 12 games in the regular season. And the other one that we agreed on was finding, a, I don't know what the criteria we would put on this, but a disruptor on defense. You need somebody in that kind of David Long, uh, going back to even further to Bruce Irvin role, someone who can cause have, wreak havoc and, and just cause trouble for the opposing quarterback, make them rethink things, make them rush things, make life easier for the other 10 players on the defense. Um, obviously, my hope is that it is – Vandarius Cowan, that's who I picked before the season. But that also transitions us to our next question from J. Aaron Nutt 22. Why haven't we heard anything about Cowan? Are the coaches keeping his ability hidden in public, or has the extreme hype by the message boards been excessive? (laughs) Mike, I don't know about you, but I have never known a message board to overreact to anything. So it's obviously not that. No, that's true. Um, I, I mean, I'll take some blame here. I haven't written about him um, too much because one, I think I wrote a lot about him before and he needs to actually do something, um, which is fair. Uh, But why has it been so quiet? One, he's not on the list of people we're allowed to interview yet. I don't know how long that'll be, but you know, it's not fun to write about people who you can't talk to. So that's one. Number two, we've only seen legitimately now a two hour practice. That was a second day of practice. And then about, Eight minutes, I think, was like the length of the one period that we were allowed to see last week when they went good on good, um, and we weren't allowed to report on what we saw. Um, what I can tell you is that 
he was not the first team guy that day, but that's not new. And what I can tell you is that on that two-hour practice, it really wasn't anything special. It was seven-on-seven stuff. I mean, he got in some drills and was covering receivers there. But we didn't see 11 on 11. We didn't see anybody in pads. That that's that two-hour practice was by and large for the offense to to show off and to run around and do some stuff in. It's hard for a defensive player to really distinguish himself. A defensive back, maybe for interceptions or PBUs or whatever, but not a linebacker. It's certainly not his position. Um, so are the coaches keeping his ability hidden? Yeah, I mean, but not intentionally. I don't think he's some, some secret weapon. I just think they haven't practiced in public or in front of the media a whole lot, and we haven't talked to him. And then on top of that, his position coach is Blake Seiler, and he was in the last group of coaches we got to interview. So one day it's Neil Brown, the next day it's the two coordinators, then it's offensive coaches, and then it's defensive coaches. So at the end of last week was the first time we got to talk to his coach. You're not going to ask, um, you know, the tight ends coach about Cowan. You have to talk to his coach. We didn't get to talk to him for a while. So there's a reason it has been a little quiet. Uh, do you suspect, we kind of touched this on the last podcast, that maybe some of these position changes have to deal with that? I mean, when, when discussing some of the top performers the other day, Neil Brown mentioned Quandarius Qualls, who was just moved to Bandit, the same position that Cowan's playing. And they've moved a couple other guys there. What What are you taking from what are you taking from this, from these position changes, from what's been said publicly and not been said publicly about Cowan? I think Cowan is their best bandit right now, but that's really an every down position. It's not necessarily a third down guy. They want to have probably, I mean, definitely two that you can use in the game and realistically three, because if something happens, you still need two. Uh, Qualls is their best pass rusher from that spot. He's so quick off the line. Um, from a two-point stance that I think he's going to be really good there. Not that Cowan isn't, but you know, Qualls was a defensive end in junior college before he came here, so he's accustomed to that that quick burst of the snap. Cowan was a Mike, um, and that's different. You know, coming off the ball, you're playing at a depth. You're not playing, you know, right across from a tackle. So I think that's some getting used to. Um, but, again, it's an every-down guy. You're going to have to sometimes play in coverage. This is interesting about that position. When Siler and Koenig were together, at Kansas State, the defensive ends coach coached the bandit. Um, and when Siler got back here and was talking to Koenig again, they discovered how different the bandit was, and especially in the Big 12, where you're going to have to run around and cover people at that position. You're not necessarily a, a rush guy every time. There's going to be certain situations, obviously, where that guy goes after the quarterback, but there are going to be just as many where he's covering guys and he's identifying and matching routes and he's dropping into a zone or he's running with the tight end. And that's your best overall player that does that. So um, just because he's not knocking people over with his performances doesn't mean he's not doing good. I think he's their guy right now. I think they're looking for a number two and number three or complementary player. So if that is, you know, Sandwich may be a better um, rusher than Cowan or Qualls may be a better rusher than Cowan. But Cowan and Bartlett, for example, they may be better runners. Um, they may be better people who are more athletic and can go from side to side and cover people there. I don't think it's so much about Cowan. I think it's about just getting a uniform fit at that position. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we got a a user, Lighten, L-Y-T-N, who took some liberties with his opportunity to ask some questions and asked several of them. So we'll we'll uh, lightning round those real quick. Any info on football season ticket sales, Mike? Yes. Um, you know, it was really good before. And obviously when Brown came in, people were excited and they had, you know, high hopes because that number has been dipping for a number of years too. It hasn't been going up and that's, a, you know, a battle across college football right now. Um, so I think they're hopeful that it would continue, but it hasn't. Um, I don't think that they're going to end up losing on this deal again. Um, last year, uh, I think 25,000-ish was where they were at for season tickets, and they're probably going to be about there again. They're right about 25,000 right now, and they're expecting to be at about 25,000, um, which is going to be what they call flat from last year. Um, maybe up a couple hundred to a thousand over where it was. Um, with their mini packages from last year too. So they're, they're finding ways to do it. Um, but again, going flat means that you're not going down. And that's what I think that they're probably most happy about is that five straight seasons of declining season ticket sales. So um, that is not what's going to happen. It looks like, so that's good, but it's not going to be as high as it was aiming before. So probably around 25,000 gone are the days of, you know, low thirties, I think, but at least we're not talking about low twenties. Offensive lineman Mike Brown is listed as a redshirt junior on the official roster. Is that accurate? Yes. I think there was a mistake last year, and there may, may have been some confusion about the two Browns, but he played two years of junior college, and he redshirted last year. So by my math, he would be a redshirt junior, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think there was also a year where maybe he sat out between high school and JUCO, which kind of threw people off. But, yeah, I think redshirt junior is the accurate – eligibility status of Mike Brown at the moment. Um, on the last podcast, you surprised me with a couple NCAA violations, and Lighten would like to know, what's the point in self-reporting those level three violations? Who would find out or report them if they didn't? I could see the phone call, but I don't see the GA punting one and bothering with that. Well, I think they have software, and I haven't checked on this, but I'm pretty sure they have software that tracks communication, and this is where they got in trouble a couple years ago, if you remember, where they found out they had like, I forget what it was, but like like thousands, if not certainly hundreds of impermissible contact because they weren't checking the software. Um, and again, I'm, I'm kind of uh, not polished on this one here, but I believe that was like they just didn't know how to use the software that tracks these things. I'm going to assume that that's not the case now and they know what to do. So, um, I, again, they don't really have a choice there. The software catches that there was an impermissible call and you got to do something about it. So that's out of their hands. I actually have a harder time believing that they even bothered with the punting one. Except that, who knows, I mean, if if someone mentions it or whatever, and then you found out that you actually knew it happened and you didn't do anything about it, um, that's a bad look. But it doesn't hurt to do it. Um, if you're losing a GA for two practices and he's the guy who handles punting, um, that's not a big deal. So it doesn't hurt to do it. I think it's just honor system, basically. And they were, one, didn't have a choice, and, and two, they just didn't have any type of hesitation to report it. Not a big deal. Ah. Thousands of impermissible contacts. That's the type of soft cheating and recruiting that I am looking for in my coaching staff, Michael. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Up next, from NC Wayward Ear, there seems to be a lot of player position movement on the D side. Is this a sign of strength or weakness as related to the positions? Yeah, similar to Bandit um, is what, what's happening, I think, at different spots. I think they're trying to find their best people. Um, they're at that point now where they gotta, they got to go. And I think that they figured out who and what they have on the defensive line. And you might see some cross-training soon. Jordan Leslie said that the other day. So you might see some tackles who learn nose or some ends who learn tackle. Um, that's not bad. If a, if a end became a nose or if a tackle became a nose permanently, that'd be a little bit different. Bandit, we talked about that. Um, Charlie Benton moved from Bandit to Mike, which is kind of a development too. So now they have you know five guys at Bandit and five guys at Mike. So they're rounding things out too. So sometimes just building depth charts you can get, never mind the games, but through practices, I think that's important. Um, the one that is probably concerning is what's going on at safety. Um, you know, if you're moving Spears from free, that's one thing that is a little bit different than moving from free to cat and back and forth. Um, Spears not like free, but I think they like Tyke Smith. I think he's going to be a player sooner than later. Um, Bonamico, I don't know. Um, I'm so glad that we wrote all these stories about how great Bonamico's been at <laughs> cat. And then he's back at Spear. I'm so glad that they said, no, he's a natural cat. That's where he should be. And he's back at Spear. Um, not sure what's going on there. Um, I kind of thought he'd be good for the, at least the cat position is kind of like a model player, you know, you know, um, at least like that, that, you know, that's the tie that would raise all the boats, so to speak, because he would show some of those guys how to play it. Maybe he did his job and they feel really good about the cats now and they can move him to Spear, which now we hear that, that, Hey, that's probably a better fit for him. So I don't know. It just seems like he's a football player and he can bounce back and forth, but they, they are shifting and some things i don't think they have an answer yet for for both those spots norwood is certainly the one um but they'd like to see it before they bank on it so they're looking at other guys at free just trying to figure out who goes where uh, related to that because it safety position as neil brown pointed out the other day one of the first true freshmen that i've heard him mention as definitively playing this fall which is is kind of a big deal was safety tyke smith he said they were getting him ready as if he were going to play and you noted the other day on the board that he just moved in to the depth chart, kind of in that too deep at one of the safety spots. So aside from him, I guess, since he's already been noted from WV blessed, what freshman will have the biggest impact on this team and why? All right. So I went over this in my three things on Sunday and there's 14 of them, and there's a bunch who shouldn't or won't play. Like, they need to redshirt the the two linemen. They need to redshirt the running back. Um, Jared Bartlett may play some special teams, and again, he's the fifth bandit, so I don't think that counts. So, again, if you go through them, there really aren't many that are in position to play. Like, should Ali Jennings and Winston Wright redshirt or play? I don't know. I think they have a lot of outside receivers. Do you really want to play Jennings a little bit in, you know, maybe a handful of more than four games? I don't know. Um, I haven't heard a ton about Winston, right? I do know they need inside receivers, so maybe him. Um, it really looks like the defensive side of the ball, and I think certainly you have to consider that Tyke Smith is one because they moved into free, and they just didn't think that he would be you know, as useful this year at Spur, excuse me, Spear, because he's third. He's behind Stewart. That's his spot, and Reigns is doing really well. Quantel Reigns is doing really well there. It's hard for a third guy, never mind a freshman, to get in there. Um, and maybe he's got a shot to play and matter at free. Um, so it's basically like him and Kerry Martin at free. They're both freshmen, so that may matter. But the ones that really aren't getting talked about are the cornerbacks. And it sounds like Tavian Mayo is doing some good things. I believe he returned the interception for a touchdown in the scrimmage. Um, yeah, he's light. He's small. But um, it seems like he's doing some things that make people increasingly impressed and less anxious about what's going on there. So outside of the obvious ones, um, there aren't a lot of candidates, but maybe Mayo is one. Next question from Misty Taste. 
Both of you have been around multiple coaching staffs. What is it about this staff you've seen that might make you think they have a chance of making WVU a Big 12 contender in the near future? Why don't you go ahead first? Well, mine is I'm I'm wrapping, I'm taking the recruiting look, but kind of expanding it into a big picture thing here. Something I've noticed from uh, my interactions with them and, and seeing what's going on with recruiting. I felt like on the previous staff, because I see I wasn't around for before Holgerson. My first year in this business was Holgerson's first year. So that was, I kind of got brought in with him, brought up with him. And the first thing I've noticed as far as from a recruiting perspective is everybody seems to be more on the same page. I felt previously that different guys thought different, different coaches, different staffers thought different things about different recruits or who was a take, who was not a take, uh, who the top targets were, who they were bringing in. And now I feel like, and and I I know for a fact, because they have said it and publicly, this isn't some inside source stuff that they all come in on the same meetings together and Neil Brown helps lead those meetings and they all get the same paperwork. They all talk the same recruits. And so I think everybody's on the same page of who they want, when they want it, what they're targeting, what they need. And I think that probably carries over that kind of organization, that togetherness. I think that carries over to a team. Have you, for the team side of things, have you seen that from that angle? I would agree. Um, not something I would have normally paid attention to, but it's kind of hard one working with you and, and working where I work now that it's got my attention more, but also they kind of make that stuff hard to miss because it's, it's like a, a sincere part of what they do. It's like, it's not a show. It's, it's actually what they do. So I, I would agree there. Um, and again, hard to miss it because it's like an every day thing, you know, part of what they do. And it, it's not, I don't think it's manufactured. I think it's pretty legitimate um, and purposeful too, but that's also his way. Um, I, I think there was – I looked at their staff initially, and it just struck me as odd that he brought five guys with him and five guys from somewhere else. And I kind of wondered how that would work. Um, it's just a weird split. Like, it's us against them-ish. Not necessarily, but you wonder sometimes about how coaches get along and, you know, what's it going to be like when that, that first strike of adversity comes along and how do you respond and, and what's your foxhole like and all that. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be bad. Maybe it'll be great. But it does seem like similar to what you're saying – it's it's pretty linear. I mean, it's it's Brown, and everybody falls in line behind him. And you kind of listen to every assistant coach, and they they kind of defer to him and his ideas and his leadership and his mantra and his philosophy for this position or that side of the ball. And um, it's figurehead stuff, but it seems like everybody has accepted and embrace that and make that part of how they coach and how they recruit and how they operate and just how they work here, which is good. Um, that's kind of unusual to me certainly not what has been the same i can't say the same thing certainly for other staffs there's been high levels of dysfunction at times in the past that you and i know about and other people know about sure but right now not like that so that would be kind of my extension of what you say and i would just say from a practice perspective is they're pretty organized in practice um they don't waste time they're pretty efficient um they get from a to b pretty quickly so uh, I, i'm not going to be one of those people that says oh they put so much detail and so much effort into their coaching and that's unlike anything else because i don't think that's true i don't think it's any different than what before but they're they're pretty quick from a to b and station to station and i don't think there's a lot of wasted time or energy or effort so pretty efficient um practice practices right now and finally, to end things on a little fun note, and, and you have to lead this off. I want to hear hear your answer first. Uh, from user Earstein, 
Who would win in a wrestling match between Chris and Mike, and what would your personas be? Well, what type of wrestling match are we talking about here? Is it a traditional one? Is it like a cage match? Is it a submission match? Because I would take <laughs> I would take you out in a submission match. <laughs> I don't have any I don't have any tricks or anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm as I say, I guess it would depend on the type of match. Because yeah, my persona is more of the. Uh, I mean, I fancy myself as a Razor Ramon, Scott Hall type, but uh, more of the big, slower mover type wrestler uh undertaker if you will um so yeah i'm gonna be uh pretty easy takedown in one of those say submission matches rather than something else okay i would be a luchador <laughs> so we i'd have all sorts of trouble with you like uh what's it with andre the giant and the princess bride i'm used to fighting five or six instead of just one see but there'd be two of me too so we'd be a twin like the Vianos, <laughs> right and like i would be outside the ring and all of a sudden the other one would come and i don't know cradle you and pin you or put you in a triangle lock or something like that and you just you would never know because it'd be we'd be kind of like magicians slash luchadors because like now you see me now you don't and then i'd be over on the other side of the ring you wouldn't have any idea what's happening one two three or a tap out and then it's all finished now if i can't run and i can't hide because we're in a cage i might have more trouble with the undertaker type for sure <laughs> and also my backup couldn't make it in the ring to help me so you put a lot more thought into this than i did it matters yes it does uh, well, Mike, you have seen all the questions. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we left? No, I do. I just find that, you know, the, the things that we hear about the scrimmage is pretty interesting. I think Brown tried to, you know, be normal about it. And I think you made a good point, too, that it was the opposite story from the day before. And then at a similar point of the previous week, the offense had it one day and the defense had it the other day. That's probably not unsurprising, I would think. Um, but one thing that caught my attention was Brown saying that their bad has to be better than it is, which is kind of interesting when you think about what he's saying. Like they do bad stuff and you can get by with bad stuff, but like their bad is way too bad right now. It's gotta be eh, as opposed to, Oh, and I think they have too much uh oh right now and not enough. Eh, um, which is more, <laughs> more uh, noises than words. I understand that, well, but it just seems like that's the point they're at right now. And if that's their worst thing, that's concerning, but what they're doing as opposed to who doing it is kind of a significant battle for them right now. Well, and I found it interesting. That was my probably my favorite quote from the entire uh, press conference because I felt like that was a problem for the last, say, you know, few years, that when things went bad, things went way bad with this West Virginia program. And, you know, I'm not wasn't feeling like that was the coach's fault, the coaching staff's fault, but I just felt like that was what was happening. But is that something you felt was happening before? You know, like over the past couple of years, when things were bad, things were real bad. I think they had so much sometimes dynamic individual talent that it could overpower some of that stuff. So, like, let's not pick on Will Greer, but if he threw a couple of interceptions, he was probably also going to throw a couple of touchdown passes, or some of his receivers were going to make plays that would turn something normal into something abnormal. Um, they could get away with that. I don't think they have that dynamic individual talent right now so yeah they're gonna have to again we, we keep talking about the, the margins and how they have to narrow the gaps and all that stuff and, and managing that whether it's special teams or whether it's let's just not be terrible on this snap or this rep is is an important thing for them um and two things on that um one what brown said about let's manage our worst is almost identical to what matt moore their offensive coordinator offensive line coach said earlier about the offensive line like if you have a bad snap just make sure it's bad and not catastrophic um and i said a minute ago they all followed leader here and so when you hear more say that one day 
and Brown say at the next single message. I think that's important. And number two, with that in mind about let's manage our worsts, I think they're going to play a lot of people and they're going to play a lot of young guys or new guys, one, because they have to, and two, because let's just make sure it's not terrible. Let's put a freshman at corner and just, if it's terrible, get him out of there, but let's trust him to make sure it's not terrible. If he's going to be bad, let him manage his bad. Um, and that's kind of exciting for me a little bit, seeing grow up on the field, because I think one thing that you could maybe indict the past staff on, especially maybe at the receiver position, they didn't really give guys a chance like that too often. I'll see. I'm about to go off on a tangent here and, and we didn't discuss this beforehand, but you got me thinking about it now with, with the press conference yesterday and one that I wish I was there. I wish you were there. I think either one of us might've asked this question because it was bugging me that nobody else did. He mentioned at the start of the press conference that the first team defense, uh, how did you pronounce uh, one solidly over the first team offense and then vice versa. So my question to you and would have been to him is when you're looking at that situation with the first team offense performing poorly, the second team offense performing well, what adjustments need to be made? How do you evaluate that? Do you need to go back to the film? What are your thoughts based off of what you've seen? I'm curious about the composition of each team. Um, I know he didn't want to get into it, but I don't care. They put a photo gallery from practice up and Jack Allison was the quarterback one. Um, unless I'm, but I mean, he was with everybody else you would assume to be starting offensive line, starting receiver. So he was your quarterback with the first team offense. Mike, um, am I going to have to bleep that out? Are you going to leave it in? <laughs> leave it in. It's it's pictures. It's up there, and I'm using context clues. But like, so now, what does that mean? Does that mean that they gave him the day, or he earned it? So I don't know. So the composition is what is important to me, and I don't know that they know that. So you have to match up good with good now. But it also means that if if the reason that the offense wasn't good was Allison wasn't out excuse me if the reason the offense wasn't good was Allison that's a bad reflection on him but I believe Brown said they dropped passes they didn't run the ball very well that doesn't necessarily reflect on Allison so again it's hard to answer your question but it's a really intriguing question because I don't know the composition of the offense too and and again was the defense bad on the second string because they have a lot of young guys on the two deep on those or positions where they're backups or their third or second string Maybe they had a bad day. Maybe it's young guys who aren't quite ready yet. Um, and maybe that first defense is better than we think, and that's why the first offense. It, it's a loaded question with a, a pretty cloudy response. I understand that. But I, I would try to match up my best of my best right now, and that's what I would look at in the film. Like, okay, relative to who this you know, this second-string defensive end was playing, you know, was he not good because the second-string offensive tackle was better or because the second-string defensive end wasn't good? So those are things you have to match up, and that's impossible for me to do from right here, even – with pictures online you can go watch the study. <laughs> All right. Well, I uh, didn't mean to go off on a tangent there. We were far too close to our designed end time, so we had to extend that just a little bit. But I think that will wrap it up for today. We'll be back a couple more times later in the week. Uh, I am Chris Anderson. Hi, Mike Kazaza. Thanks for listening. <laughs>